hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. Well, we have a terrific show for you this week on the, the McCullough Report. We spend time with a young physician, Dr. Jessica Petros. Dr. Jess, who's a, a social media influencer, uh, she is a bigger-than-life personality. Uh, she has clearly been on the side of freedom of choice, and she tells us really a disturbing, disturbing history of the overreach of general childhood vaccination uh, through the years leading up to the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. This is, again, before COVID, and it was happening in California. You're going to be shocked to hear what happened in California with respect to freedom of choice uh, and mass vaccination of all the usual childhood vaccines on the schedule. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. It's a great pleasure to welcome to the microphone. In fact, I'm doing one of the first video interviews. This doctor is so dynamic and amazing, and she is really, really an iconic figure in this whole area of doctors becoming public figures and then almost becoming uh, examples or um, or uh, visual and real examples of fundamental changes in our society, Dr. Jessica Petrus, or Dr. Jess. Dr. Jess went to the University of Louisville in Louisville, Kentucky. Any of you been there? It's a wonderful place. Louisville, Kentucky probably has more bricked buildings than anywhere in the country. It must be the red brick capital of the world. I love it. But she went there to undergraduate, Louisville Cardinals, and then went to medical school there and then stayed on her in her for her residency. And, uh, and, and then she's in practice in California. And I'm going to allow her to come on and tell the story about going from Louisville, Kentucky to California and how she settled in there and what's happened to cause such a tumultuous change in her career. Dr. Petrus, welcome to the McCullough Report. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. I appreciate I appreciate the stage and the honor for for showing up for me here. So um, yeah, for me. So I have a long, crazy story, and it's been a wild ride. And I will say that when I went to medical school, probably much like you, Dr. McCullough, I I believed everything they taught me. I thought I was doing the the best thing for healthcare, the best thing for my patients in the future was to go to medical school and to eat and drink drink from the fire hose of medical knowledge that they provided. And even in residency, you know, I followed all the hospital protocols. I believed everything they did. I got my flu shot every year. I ate the cafeteria food. And, um, you know, in Louisville, Kentucky, it's a beautiful place, but there's not a lot of, you know, root cause medicine. There's not a lot of integrative functional root cause uh, medicine there. And I didn't even know things like functional medicine, chiropractic school, naturopathic school existed when I went to school and residency there. So really, I was cracked wide open. I'll be quite honest with you um, after a divorce. 
And so indirectly, it did have to do with a man um, and for me. And, you know, it was a very public divorce. I was a very public doctor there as a hospitalist. Um, and it actually got put on the Internet. Um, and so for me, it was very humiliating. I sort of felt like um, it was a public, very public disgrace, like a scarlet letter even during that time. Where were you working at the time? I was uh, I was working at a hospital called Norton Hospital. It's a level. Yeah, it's a level one trauma center. Um, and we had we were at a group called Norton inpatient specialist. So we were asked to if people don't know what hospitalists are, we were asked to admit patients for the outpatient doctors who no longer had time to round on their patients and see patients in their clinic. And so the hospital hired us to admit outpatients who were sick enough to be in the hospital and take care of them for their entire stay from admission to discharge. Right. So that, that's important. I'm glad you mentioned that for the listeners. Um, a, a field of internal medicine that's evolved over time is inpatient internal medicine. Some people call it hospitalist or nocturnist. I, I like the idea of just inpatient internal medicine. Since every patient admitted needs a central doctor that's basically going to manage the patient and decide which consultants do see the patient, that's the role. And that has become a larger percentage of internal medicine graduates go into that field as opposed to off, outpatient office medicine. What would you say the percentages are? In your class, How many? what percent became hospitalists? Mm. Gosh, what percent became hospitalists? That's a really great question. I don't think I've ever pondered the answer to this before. I would say, you know, a good proportion go into internal medicine, but a lot of them don't stay hospitalists. They do further fellowships and specialize on after that. Mm -hmm. um, I would say out of the people who do versus um, internal medicine, just alone, I would say it's probably 60% hospitalist, 40% outpatient medicine. Okay. But wouldn't you say the hospitalist core or the inpatient internal medicine core in the United States is pretty young? Oh, absolutely. I would say in the last, you know, 15 to 20 years, this is a new specialty that has developed out of the need for it, really. Mm -hmm. So not too much gray hair. It's young people. It's probably high pressure. Got to get the orders in. Got to get the consultants, uh, get people through. Nurses calling you all the time. Um Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty rough. Okay. So what happens there? So you have a divorce, it gets on the internet or social media. It's one of the real downsides of all the social media um, activity. Uh, and then what happens there and how do you end up in California? So I made a pretty reactive decision. I put the home that I owned on the market and it sold in a day. And I thought, okay, the universe is pointing me in a certain direction. Maybe I'm onto something. And my best friend lived in Portland, Oregon. So I moved to Portland, Oregon there with her and continued hospitalist work that kind of pulled at my heartstrings over time because it was no longer resonating with how I felt I needed to practice medicine. Mm -hmm. And at, during that time, I became, I guess, what you would call a disruptive physician. <laughs> so I knew what they were feeding people in the hospital was wrong. And I would go, I wouldn't keep quiet about it. I would go downstairs in the cafeteria and the poor cafeteria ladies probably hated me, but I would say, you know, why are you feeding this sugar to cancer patients? Why is there factory farm meat and processed dairy on every plate? And so for me, that was really, um, you know, the pinnacle of what I could see was wrong with healthcare. 
Yeah, well, wait, before you jump, before you go any further, I think you've really struck a chord with our listeners. I want to know the truth for someone who really knows this. Why is hospital food so uniformly bad? <laughs> you know, there are contracts. They have the hospital has contracts. It is a business, unfortunately. And when I poke the bear, this is what I was told. Unfortunately, they said the hospital system and the, the medical system in general is really messed up. We have Coca-Cola. We have Pepsi contracts in the hospital. We have Doritos and Frito-Lays. And uh, that's the way it is. And we follow the food pyramid. But, you know, I have to register a complaint right now uh, as a doctor. Even the cafeteria we go to in the hospital is terrible. And what I want to know is, you know, you go into any other workplace uh, you know, you go to the mall and they've got different restaurants. You go to, a, you know, you go to a nice uh, environment. You go to a legal office. They'll have coffee shop or what have you. Why is why are hospitals uniformly so bad at basic things like cafeteria, like retail and food? What, what makes hospitals so terrible? You know, it's almost like I liken it to the government matrix almost. It's, it's it's meetings upon meetings. They have contracts. They are, you know, who is it? Uh, uh, Abbott Pharmaceuticals and Nestle. I mean, they're making tube feedings. So there's something wrong inherently with this when they're the root cause of the problem, in my opinion, is money. All behind closed doors is money. And let's be real, um, you know, Bayer Pharmacy bought Monsanto. In my opinion, one of the most evil companies in the world up for grabs. Come on, let's buy this company. I mean, who says that? And- uh, I would also contend that another unique factor, you mentioned these contracts, uh, and, and in a sense, it's all big corporate uh, healthcare. But also the unique thing is the captive audience. So the patients are captives and the families visiting are captives and you don't have free choice. Whereas if you worked in a legal office or you worked in another shopping mall or you work somewhere else, you actually have choice. Here in the hospital, you're, 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 you're captive. And I think it's the captive nature of it uh, and, and uh, invariably the ineptitude of hospital management of which we face everywhere. So it's not just uh, it, it would not just be cafeteria food. If you looked at, well, how do they clean the rooms and how promptly, uh, you know, it is nothing like how the Ritz-Carlton is managed. I've always thought, listen, if you just get hotel managers who know how to make a nice experience and turn over rooms, you could do it. And, and hospitals are big, expensive hotels, but they really fall, fall short on the hotel aspect of hospitality. And Dr. McCullough, even the lighting in hospitals, we wonder why the elderly get admitted and then sundown, which means, guys, that when they the sun goes down, you know, they don't have a window that's open or closed. There's a different nurse in on every ship. They end up getting very confused and they don't know what time of day or night it is. And so we could really prevent a lot of this with circadian rhythm protocols to help people in the hospital with the proper lighting, that not just LED lighting everywhere. So there's so many things wrong, like you said, and it started to, those cracks started to show for me um, after being a hospitalist for seven years. I started to say, why am I discharging these people on 50 medications? Why, why am I working in a system where I disagree with the food they're feeding a chronically ill? 
why am I a, a cog in this will of this machine that I don't believe in anymore? And when I said something, because I thought the other doctors, maybe they just hadn't seen it. You know, maybe I could help out. Boy, was I wrong. They'd seen it and they just wanted me to shut up. And that's just not me. <laughs> and all of this uh, just was before COVID, right? Oh, yeah. This was back in 2015, 16. Absolutely. And they would, the other hospitals would say to me, oh, we just, we'll see you with a book on the shelves one day. And they were inherently saying, we agree with some of the things you're saying, but we're afraid to step out. Uh, and I just couldn't do it anymore. So I, I quit. I told them I quit. After someone, a patient came in on a proton pump inhibitor for acid reflux and had been on it for eight years. That's wrong. And when I wrote it in the chart, I became a liability. And the primary care doctor, the outpatient doctor, called the hospitalist team to complain about me. Mm. And that was the final straw. I quit then. And I may not have done it so quickly had I realized how hard it is when there's not a ready-made system for doctors outside the matrix to work in. You have to become a businessman or businesswoman pretty quickly. It's very hard. People uh, ask, uh, ask me that all the time. Well, what about your next stop or what's going to happen? I said, listen, it's complicated. There's licenses. There's uh, credentialing with insurance companies. There's malpractice insurance. There's hospital privileges. And it's complicated and expensive. Uh, doctors are not snap-in employees. They're not. So what, what was the next stop after Portland? You know, after that, when I quit my hospital's job, my other best friend lived in Southern California um, in Long Beach. So I actually lived with her and her fiance for six months as a physician on my own because I was making a quarter of the salary I used to make as a hospitalist, right? And there's all these other things that you have to do when you get brave and you decide to step out of the matrix. You have to take care of your own insurance, all these other th malpractice, all these things the hospital took care of for me that I had never done on my own became my problem. So what were you doing in Long Beach? Did you open up your own clinic or? No, actually I did not feel uh, well-versed enough in the medicine that I wanted to practice for people. So I felt like I needed some extra training. Um, so I I actually drove an hour each way from East Monterey two days a week and to Whitaker Wellness in Newport Beach three days a week to shadow a naturopathic doctor and then Dr. Julian Whitaker, who's a medical doctor who's since retired, who owned Whitaker Wellness, he was reversing heart disease and diabetes in the 80s. And he became my mentor. And so I was able, even though I was making very little money, I could barely make ends meet, I really felt encouraged that I was actually going to help people this time instead of just prescribing all the time, which was what I was taught. And so what happened from there? So you got this training. This is interesting. So you're an MD, an allopathic MD getting naturopathic training. Yeah. And, and what happens from there? Yeah, you know, I was completely mesmerized. I probably came off like a little kid, so giddy every day because it was things that I had never seen before. I mean, he was doing ozone and so many IVs, you know, so many different things I hadn't seen before and had experience um, doing, you know, I could put a central line in, but I didn't know anything about ozone. Um, so I really got trained in diet and nutrition through Gerson therapy. I got trained in through ozone through Dr. Schellenberger's course in Nevada. And then I went to the Institute of Functional Medicine. 
And I started to gain confidence in myself and my abilities. And then I moved to San Diego. And in San Diego, um, I did a number of things. I started working at Nourish Medical Center with a number of naturopathic doctors. And I was the only medical doctor there. And that we actually, it was really fun to collaborate with doctors who had been trained a little differently than me. At the same time, I also had been trained in cannabis and the way it could help certain condi chronic conditions and pain as well. And so I was giving cannabis cards in California out to patients who qualified. So those were my two jobs when I first moved to California in 2000, late 2015, early 2016. Wow. Uh, yeah. well, you know, I, I think it's... Um important for our listeners to know that there are these different disciplines within medicine and they are very different different from allopathic medicine that would be mds uh, and then do's that largely emulate what mds do there are do's that are uh, doctors of osteo osteopathy who do spinal manipulation and have uh, a different area of expertise there's doctors of chiropractor people don't understand what a chiropractor is uh, there are actually prescribing pharmacists. They can get a particular pharmacy degree where they can prescribe medications. There's doctors of philosophy, PhD people who, uh, uh, doctors who are do counseling. And then there's this whole world of naturopathic doctors, NDs. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was the world uh, you basically pierced, if you will. It's a world that um, uh, when we look at each one of these um nutraceuticals or in each one of these supplements, the, the thing I've been impressed with is there's a ton of literature behind each one. It's almost overwhelming. So if you pick any, any uh, if you pick curcumin and start with, so let's look at, when we look at the literature of curcumin, it becomes, it's vast. And there's a vast literature, uh, ozone, for instance, ozone therapy is vast. And so as an allopathic physician, I tell people, listen, it's just not my area. I'm not trained uh, broadly enough in that you took the time to, in a sense, do a fellowship in it. Yeah, I trained myself. I've always sort of been a lifetime student and learner in general. Um, so I just brought back my kind of childhood wonderment to learn a different, it's just a different perspective on the body and what its capabilities are. That's it. It's really integrating all the anatomy, physiology, histology, you know, everything that we learned in medical school and residency, and just looking at it through new eyes. You know, each year I was paying attention to the evolution of this literature in JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, always had an annual issue. It's called the Contempo issue. And they would go through uh, the randomized trials of uh, particular supplements, vitamin D or vitamin E or vitamin A. And invariably, these randomized trials were neutral. It just said, well, it just, you, you know, we, vitamin D didn't change uh, the incidence of osteoporosis uh, fractures or something along these lines. And one time I got into a conversation with someone who's pretty knowledgeable about naturopathic medicine. I said, well, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested, but it just seems like, you know, this contempo issue is such a letdown. It looks like really none of these supplements work. And then what he said to me was, you know, the randomized trial um, is probably not a fair evaluation standard for naturopathic medicine because it's too integrative. There's too many things going on. And the global metric of what's done may not be amenable to a randomized trial. And I thought that was a, an interesting 
uh, response because in 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 the traditional allopathic medicine, we almost kind of worship these randomized trials. We do, and you know, there's an. I, I'm glad you brought that up because you know there is another art that I feel like has been lost in these randomized trials as well, and that's anecdotal. Thing. I I really learned, I learned so much in my practice from seeing certain patterns in certain patients and hearing them and believing them. Now, I know that only goes so far and you have to have science as well, but we can't just completely ignore and or gaslight what patients are telling us either, right? Uh, we need to listen because they've been some of my greatest teachers. They really have. Wow, that's terrific. We're going to take a pause here, and then we're going to get back onto the other side. We've been listening to Dr. Jess Petrus, and I tell you, she is beautiful. She's smart and dynamic, and she's really done something creative with her career. And we're going to get to the next uh, segment of her career, which is going to quickly get into uh, the pandemic years. Uh, but we've learned so much about allopathic medicine, naturopathic medicine, and I guess the, the integration of that, which is holistic or integrative medicine. So let's get real, let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Well, you're hearing the news about the convergence of influenza, respiratory syncytial virus, and now SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, hitting at the same time in some households. Uh, most of these conditions are mild, but they are bothersome. People have fever, cough, congestion, uh, respiratory symptoms, and one of the best ways to safeguard your home is with the Genesis Fogger. The Genesis Fogger uses HOCL, that is a safe disinfectant. Uh, it is virucidal, it kills the virus in the air, and on surfaces, it creates a dry mist. You can use it to sterilize certain rooms, sterilize bathrooms particularly, and I think every household should have it. So go to America Out Loud website, go to the banner bar and click on Genesis Fogger to get a discount on your purchase. And you're gonna need it because the first purchase involves the uh, unit itself, and then you'll get a box of the liquid that's used inside, it's diluted in water, and that's basically the supply. And you're given a, a, a real good number of bottles that'll last you a long time. But go ahead and pick up the discount on the first purchase when you go to our banner bar on America Out Loud, and that's the Genesis Fogger. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com, where we're healing America one person at a time. 
For 40 years, alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe, yet none of their dire predictions have come true. Temperatures have not soared, sea level rise has not been unusual, and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity. In short, there is no climate emergency. For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America climate plan. A plan based on real science that responds to the real world needs of Americans, supports economic growth, and strengthens our essential infrastructure. A plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. We are America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. We're heading into a busy holiday season. That means lots of strains, uh, difficulty with sleeping, concentration, and threats to your immune system. This is a perfect time to stock up on healthy cell. Focus in memory for better uh, mental acuity. The REM sleep supplement for a full night's sleep with good sleep architecture and a great restfulness when you wake up the next day. And then the immune super boost which provides your immune system all it needs in a microgel formulation to keep your immune system healthy and to be able to fight those viral and bacterial pathogens that are just around the corner with holiday gatherings. So when you think about the holidays, think of Healthy Cell. Go to America Out Loud Talk Radio website, click on the banner bar to get to Healthy Cell and get a discount on your first purchase. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only eight seconds, one second less than a goldfish. The digital age is narrowing our attention span. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Advanced nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-based ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.5 proves it works. Supercharge your brain and see the difference. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. That's HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. We're talking to Dr. Jess Petrus. Dr. Jess, that's what she has on her email. She's all over 
social media. Aren't you on Instagram and all the other social media? Yes, uh, which can be, it has its pros and its cons. Let's just say that. <laughs> you were doing some amazing things on Instagram, largely making me laugh, which is fun because we need to laugh sometimes uh, on Instagram, uh, which I've always viewed. I was too old for all the social media before COVID. And Senator Ron Johnson said, he goes, how are you going to change the, the view of America? I said, I have no idea. All I do is publish manuscripts. He goes, that's not going to do it. He goes, you're going to have to get on social media. My, my daughter uh, got me going on it. And on, uh, when I finally got on Instagram, I realized I got hooked on two types of videos. One was the dog videos. Oh, yeah. my <laughs> Lord, they are precious. There's so many and they come up and I'm a dog lover. My wife's a dog lover. And it's just how it's just how can you not look at these amazing dog videos? And of course, the dogs do all kinds of amazing things and they're cute and they make you laugh. It's actually a good thing. And then the other ones are the surfing videos. Have you seen those? Oh, no, but I love that stuff. <laughs> it is amazing. These surfing videos, it's like, wow, it's it just is so electrifying what they do. And then they kind of merge into this the ski videos. But um, on Instagram, you have a presence. And I think you're trying to get people to pay attention to things. So what's going on there? Yeah, you know, my whole platform is about bringing awareness to health and the body. And I truly, in my heart of hearts, believe if people are properly educated, because they have not been properly educated, but if they have been, they will make better choices. And I truly believe that about people. And that's my whole driving force for creating silly videos every day to make people laugh. Because in my viewpoint, comedy and tragedy are very closely linked. Well, you know, on the platform, we just started a new show, Nurses Out Loud. And most of them are big Instagram stars, uh, including um, uh, 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 Nurse Michelle, uh, also known Nurse Rona. She's considered the face of Corona. So she's actually developed the ability of using her, she's got very expressive facial expressions uh, to um, get the meaning across. She's been particularly good. Uh, another uh, uh, group on Instagram is really fun. It's, it's actually three mothers. Uh, it's called the Just Think Podcast. And so they have an entity, and they've interviewed everyone. I've been on their show multiple times and uh, they also are, um, they're relatable to mothers who are taking care of children and uh, bringing on different experts and having interesting conversations. They develop quite a following, but they also do amazingly fun things. So Kristen, who's part of the Just Think uh, podcast uh, for Halloween, her costume was a dress and it was like a beauty pageant dress, except for she was misinformation. So, so good how she did it. And uh, she had um, uh, 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 all the different stickers on of, um, of all the different phrases that go with uh, cancellation and all of that. And this, I'll send it when I'm done. Maybe while we're talking, I'll send it over to you. It is so hilarious. And I told her, I said, that's so creative uh, in, in, you know, trying to bring, bring awareness to, to the idea is cancel culture is real. It's progressed to more than just getting uh, deleted or getting ghosted on something. It's uh, it, it started to encroach way beyond social media and it really hit during the, the COVID years. So bring us up to the COVID years and what was going on with you. 
Sure, absolutely. So, you know, really COVID is when things started to get a little crazy for me and things really started to get a little more sinister, in my opinion, in California. Um, and so, you know, what happened was I had a good friend and colleague at Nourish Medical Center where I worked with a naturopathic doctors and her name was Dr. Ilana Rumel. She's still my good friend. And she w- had just had this beautiful, strong passion for protecting fragile children and the uh, bio-individuality of human health and how probably no blanket medicine is good for everyone. She truly believed that. And so we struck up kind of a deal at Nourish where she would see, since she was a pediatric naturopath, she would see the patients first and then toss them to me second to sign the um, vaccine exemption. So, you know, really we were following SB 277 down to the letter. Um, So you needed, you know, a family member with, you know, an immediate family member with some sort of autoimmune condition, you needed four of those, Um, you know, some sort of neuro condition, something like that. So we were following all the legalities of it. Um, Tell me, tell us about that. What is that SB? That's a state bill. What, what, What is this? What is it? What is the gist of the bill? For sure. Great question. So let me back up for just a minute. So when I first moved to California in late 2015, that was the year that Senator Richard Pan had written SB 277. And it was a very controversial bill that was up in California. And it actually did pass despite a lot of pushback, especially from mothers who had had vaccine injured children. So, you know, they had signs, they rallied, they they actually marched on um, you know, the, the state capital, but it didn't make a difference. The bill was still passed through. And what this bill meant was that children who went to school had to have a mandatory 72 doses of vaccines to attend school. And they got rid of really any sort of um, religious exemption. So, so patients and children had to go to their doctors and really qualify for a very stringent criteria to have a vaccine exemption and okay so so let's stop so what year was this this was passed in 2015 so 2015 vaccines the vaccine schedule becomes mandatory for school no religious exemption no personal choice opting out and the only thing left is a medical exemption but now there's quite a rigor for to get a medical exemption if a, if a parent doesn't feel comfortable with their child getting 70, 72 dose administrations of vaccines. Correct. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, so tell us about the, the team. So, so, you know, really we were doing this sort of seeing patients together and we did this up until 2018 when we could no longer do vaccine exemptions because SB 276 was passed which meant that, you know, really there was only, doctors could only give total of five vaccine exemptions at all in the state of California. If you gave more than that, it was an automatic investigation opened up on your license. Um, And they really started retroactively punishing doctors for following the law under SB 277. So let me just back up and tell people why they would have cared to even pass another law after SB 276, right? They passed this in 2015. And so why were they still passing SB 276 in 2018, three years later? And that was because even though physicians were responsible for medical exemptions, schools didn't have the capability to review those exemptions. 
So the school and the local California Public Health Department, those jurisdictions were given any sort of like responsibility or authority under SB 277 to evaluate or look at those medical exemptions, right? So that was the reason for passing the law on SB, SB 277 in 2018. And at that point, Dr. Rumel and I quit doing medical exemptions. Now I understand this was pre-COVID, but this is important for everyone to understand. So, yeah. so the general lay of the land that my understanding is over, year, over the years is roughly two, before COVID, 2.5% of parents opted out of childhood vaccination in general. They just said, you know, I'm just not going to do this for my kids. 2.5%. But 2.5% of the entire California population of children going to school is a huge number. That's a huge number that instead of electively opting out, would now have to go through this rigorous exemption process which within a few years, they effectively shut down by saying, if you're, you know, any given doctor can only do more than five. Now in other states, so for instance, Texas always can say religious exemption. I, I have a, a, you know, I have a closely held religious belief that injecting this in my body is, you know, going to cause harm. And, and, um, and in states like Ohio, parents can say, no, we, we opt out, just checkbox, we opt out. That's it. So from state to state. Now, the illnesses are all the same, right? Uh, diphtheria, pertussis, influenza, the same. But state to state is so different. Now, the thing that interests me is that California is known as a liberal state. It's known as a democratic state. Now, the liberals in general have always been about freedom of choice and about being very liberal with respect to use of recreational drugs and liberal with respect to sexual choices and liberal with respect to other aspects of the human body. But why would a democratic liberal state be so stringent on something like this? I've, it seems countercurrent to liberal thinking. Yes, this is not the same. These are not the same Democrats as JFK's time. Let's just say that. It's almost like they flipped the script. Um, you know, they were against the matrix back then, and now they seem to be promoting it forward, if you will. Um, and so. But the important part of this, Justice, this is before COVID. Yes, it is. But before COVID, in the years before COVID, there was a relatively strong and swift movement towards authoritarian approach to childhood vaccination. Yes, I would like to say, regardless of whether what, the people listening, whatever your stance is on, on vaccines, this should scare you. The California is taking this stance with suits who can control doctors and their opinions, because I will say, yes, it was pre-COVID. And in my opinion, and I'm open to being wrong, but in my opinion, I believe that this was a temperature check. Um, you know, really, they needed to see if they could get away with this, because what they've done to the children in California is really the exact same thing they did for the adults during COVID. They it, it basically became the, the template. Now, out of these, uh, you know, I've, uh, full disclosure, when I was born, there were three shots. And one of the shots had uh, itself had three different vaccines in it, the MM. Are the measles, mumps, rubella. There was three. Um, a child today faces, um, I believe the number is 16 different 
uh, uh, shots, 16 different products, and then 72 dose administrations. I think those, those numbers are close to. And a lot of that is things like influenza. Yeah. Influenza, like, you know, a one-year-old child getting a flu shot. Hepatitis B for babies. Yeah, hepatitis B for babies. So, you know, I, I had, we, I've already had one podcast with somebody very knowledgeable on vaccines, and that's Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, who, who's a DO. She's a doctor of uh, osteopathy. But it was interesting because she grew up and her, I think her dad was a doctor and she had never taken a vaccine in her life. She herself had never taken a vaccine. Now, I was uh, not born in an affluent family and my mom took me into the pediatrician and the pediatrician said, here, take these vaccines. And so I ended up taking every single vaccine there ever was. And I never seemed to have reactions to them. So, you know, when the hospital said we needed to get flu shots, I got flu shots. I, I was uh, motivated, uh, honestly, to get the hepatitis B vaccine. I was a cardiologist. I had needle stick injuries. I was, I was actually, uh, if there was protection against hepatitis B, I wanted it. So, oh. I, so what I told the audience at that time, Jess, is I said, you have two full, you have two opposites, a completely unvaccinated doctor and a completely vaccinated doctor. And we were talking about this. Where do you stand on this? Are you free to disclose this? Are you partially vaccinated or? I am. You know, I, like you, got my annual flu shot when I was a hospitalist. I believed in it. I got my hepatitis B, which is a, you know, series of three vaccines for the listeners. And I did all that as well. You know, I didn't have 72 doses of vaccines because I, like you, I'm 44 now. So I, like you, probably got, you know, less than what is available now, like 15 probably. But, but, uh, but did your parents follow the schedule when you were a kid? Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, I was, I can remember being in sixth and seventh grade and having vaccine day, right. Where you go in and on the public school day and get your shots. Now, Jess, I have to ask you, are you a, are you a pet owner? I am. I have a puppy. Do you? Now, what is it about veterinary medicine? It seems like they also have a vaccine schedule and, and, and there seems to be a preoccupation. Every time I talk to my wife, she's taking our lovely cute dog in for another shot. Is there some, is there something about vaccines that we're missing? Is it just in the minds of people or are, are, are these vaccines super products that are really improving the health of dog and animal and, and every every organism on earth or no, I I can't I can't believe that. I know that the science is there, but I just truly believe they have put out cigarette science that everyone believed too during the you know point. So, so what were you doing when COVID hit? So, so now you're no longer doing vaccine exemptions. COVID's rolling in. Uh, what happened then? So, you know, at, at that time, I went through actually the loss of my company. So I was still working at Nourish Medical Center. Um, and when COVID hit in 2000, um, well, actually, let me back up. In 2019, the very end of 2019, October, November, I had shareholders come in and pretty much take the arches off of McDonald's. I had a supplement company. I had, you know, a huge Instagram audience at that time, an email list. And they came in and tricked me and fooled me and took my entire company from me. Um, and basically my Instagram at the time, my email list and my supplement company. So I had to start from scratch again. Mm. And when 2020 hit, my fiance and I left California. I knew that it was time to hightail it out of there when COVID happened. In 2019. 
In, well, 2020, actually. In, in May 2020, we left after my my company had been taken. I'd had enough of California. How does that happen? Was it just a bad business deal and you couldn't figure it out? Or Listen, I am a little country girl from West Virginia. My dad was a preacher and a missionary, so I take people at face value. And it was my it was a big lesson for me, a big, huge karmic lesson for me in California, not to take people's word for it. And they made me a mere shareholder in my own company without giving me a seat on the uh, on the board. And so I had no control in a company that bore my own name. And then when I told my Instagram audience what happened, they sued me for breach of contract for two and a half years with the comp- with the money they were making from my own company. It's like a movie. So, you know, I learned a ton from that experience. I needed that experience to have better boundaries and to know what I was made of because I didn't know if I was going to be able to build back again. And wow. this is this is now this is rebuild uh, going on rebuild number three now. So you leave California. What happens next? Yeah. So we drive across the country with a rooftop tent on our truck and just feel out what feels great, where we want to live. And we end up in Asheville, North Carolina in the mountains. Oh, beautiful. Where they make all the furniture, huh? Yes. It's really lovely here. It has lovely energy. And so we've settled here for the last two, almost three years. And, um, you know, this is a great story. When my supplement company was taken, my whole Dr. Just company was taken, I had a patient who was a great patient of mine. I'd been my patient for four years. He came in with all that supplements and he set it on my desk. And he said, Dr. Jess, I don't want these anymore. And your business partners were really awful to you. And I'm going to build you something that's going to make them cry. And little did I know that this, this business partner now had built the backend supply chain to Apple and had a web development company. And he built me Wellness Plus, which is my membership to teach people how to be their own best doctors through courses, videos, a community forum where doctors answer them um, and all that stuff. So my patient has now become my business partner. I've left seeing one-on-ones because I have a larger platform. I was repeating myself every single one-on-one consult. And this gives me a larger platform to broadcast my message to people, which is that your body can heal. This is so amazing. So I'm looking at your Instagram um, and it's Dr. Jess and you have 291,000 followers. That's amazing. That's really hard to do on Instagram. They are, they Instagram is unfollowing me. Uh, As soon as somebody tries to follow me, they unfollow me and they hunt me through all this AI. So I am like way below you. But yeah, your videos look so much, so fun and you're so dynamic and you have a big, beautiful smile. And so do you also see patients in person? Are you now in this, this web? Now, you know, I didn't know. I I wish that I would still have that option. But you know, what happened was when I surrendered my license because they came after me in California. Yeah, Um, Tell us about that. Yeah. So, you know, um, I was really surprised that the California Medical Board did this, but they, like I mentioned earlier, they're retroactively punishing doctors who followed the law under SB 277. And I am definitely not alone. There are many uh, doctors that I consider heroes who have had this happen before me. So I knew what my fate was going to be and what the options and decisions I was going to have were going to be. Um, about a year ago, they sent out, well, it's been longer than that. While I was at Nourish Medical Center, they actually sent out a subpoena 
for a patient's medical record, an 18 month old child whose sibling had autism. And at the, you know, they're really sneaky about it. They don't tell you what they're doing. They don't tell you why they need it. So the clinic just assumed it was like a family court case or something like that. And we, we readily sent the records without any argument. Uh, and months went by, almost a year went by. And, you know, I had also given a card to at the cannabis clinic when I first moved to California, not understanding really what the law was, but the child had eczema, you know, all over his extremities, excoriating to, you know, bleeding in front of me. Um, and also a pretty extensive history of asthma. And so, you know, I gave him a three-year temporary exemption for Tdap. That's it. And so they hunted these records. I mean, it was, if, if I could describe it, I think the term witch hunt is appropriate here. Mm-hmm. Um, Tessa Hunas, who is the attorney general in San Diego, um, they really had a mole in the San Diego unified school system. What they did was back in 2018, they published all the children's name, unvaccinated children's names and the doctors who gave the exemption and the reason for the exemption. So the nurses in the school had got together, not been able to evaluate the exemptions, right? Got together with California Public Health Department, the attorney general, and they started to subpoena records so they could open them up under the guise of safety to check for the legitimacy of these vaccine records. And what they were doing was getting doctors in trouble for minutia who followed the law. Maybe they didn't chart everything properly. They didn't sign their chart in the correct amount of time. And I'll tell you, they harassed the clinic over owner at the cannabis clinic who was on his deathbed and out of state. She sent multiple texts, multiple emails, um, and then finally sent a subpoena to his PO box in San Diego. So this was absolutely a witch hunt. And what year did the first subpoena come out? You know, this was back in 2019, I believe. So before you left, you're already out of there. The subpoena is coming in hot and heavy. This is a witch hunt. I mean, if they're to the point where they're publishing the kids' names and the doctors that they didn't take the vaccines in the newspaper... This is before COVID. They, they, it sounds like they had already developed some form of vaccine mania before this ever happened. So you got to the point, we just have just a minute or two left. So, uh, so tell us what you finally did with the California license. You know, I, I had, I went through the whole process with my lawyer. It, it really was a runaround of the kangaroo courts. Nothing got done. I didn't get a reprimand. They actually wanted to put me on three years probation, um, 90 hours of their re-education and a stipulated license with no more vaccine exemptions. You know, I'm in North Carolina. I could transfer the punishment here, but why do that? I, it makes me more of a liability. I don't want to play in their bully court anymore. I don't agree with what they're doing. I inherently don't agree with what they're doing. You know, um, whether you agree your stance on vaccines or not, you should be worried that this is passing and people are just ignoring it in a state. This could happen anywhere. Yeah. So so you told them you voluntarily relinquished the license. Then, then what do they do with the investigation? Well, you know, they were pretty mad because they passed a law that any sort of, um, you know, if they, legal ramifications, we have to pay for. We have, they have to come back and pay for their legal fees. So they couldn't do that to me after I surrendered my license. And just for the public out there listening, they want to get ri- get us in trouble if we've done any exemptions, because if they get us under any disciplinary action, it nullifies every single other exemption we've done for every other child. Wow. So you also were protecting the other child, then, other children. You know, I, you know, it was, I think it was 2021, I got a letter from the American College of Physicians where I was a fellow there for years and years and years. 
And uh, it was one of these stern letters that says, uh, you have made public statements, but you, you haven't violated our behavioral policy yet, but we're keeping a watch on you. And I realized, you know what I realized? And that was, I think it was around the summer of 2021. Uh, I realized that uh, later on that there's something called the COVID-19 Community Core. And that in April 1st of 2021, the Department of Health and Human Services infused $13 billion into medical societies, into um, Hollywood, into the pro sports teams, into um, American College of Pediatrics, American College of Sectors and Gynecology, uh, into Black and Hispanic groups. So there was a massive infusion into these organizations to, to push vaccines. And as part of that, and, and, and invariably, this has come down through Verizon, all the medical boards, everything has been, quote, pro-vaccine. But the point I'm making is I was coming up for my renewal of my membership. And I, you know, outside of getting Annals Internal Medicine, I haven't been able to make many of the meetings and I think it was $600 or something. And I said, I hereby joyfully resign from the American <laughs> College of Physicians. Please confirm my resignation, you know, and, and I photocopied it and I sent it back to him. It was just like good riddance. Wow, what a story. Just Petrus. Listen, how can people follow you? 1000% back hierarchies to how people want to follow me, interact with me. You know, I put a lot of free information out on social media, TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. I, if you want to change the younger generation, you have to get them there. Um, and it's a doctor period, just period MD on those places. And then I have app MD, which is wellness plus. That's my membership that is got four different doctors working on there, including me to help people understand their body's clues and symptoms. So. Wow. Looks absolutely fantastic. So you're making a big difference. It's a story. Now you're a young doctor. You've got your whole uh, career still ahead of you, but in many ways uh, you've, um, you've kind of gone to the school of hard knocks, I think. Right. Yeah. You know, I, it's, you know, diamonds are made under pressure. Mm -hmm. And and so yeah. I thank God for my trials and tribulations. So many people listening to my show, which is international, a huge audience in Australia and Europe, South America, and all over. They listen because they want to understand that this interface between seeing something wrong and going along with it, complicity, versus someone else who says, you know what, I, I can't go along with this. I, I, I can't do this. I want to do better. I want to change for the better. I want to do everything I can in my career for the better. And I would characterize you as someone like that, where you just said, I, I just can't go along with this. That's right. You know how the trailblazers will always be ridiculed. You know, you have to know that if you really, you have to be able to take criticism if you're going to be blazing new trails for people who don't really see your perspective. And yeah, I can't stand by and think that humans can't do better and we can't have a better world in my lifetime. I think that's a great way to end. We'll leave it here. Dr. Jess Petros, thank you for joining us on McCullough Report. Thank you for having me. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is McCullough Report.